So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how's this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts the podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes, and particularly gruesome and spooky, creepy themes in today's session, as a fair warning. Nice warning, Dr. Fran. And happy Halloween, everyone! So, Halloween is this weekend, and we have a very special session today as we wrap up our Spooky Sessions series. A miniature walked in the joint. Save one life, and you're a hero. Save a hundred lives, and you're a nurse. I should have never let you into this hospital. Letting me into this hospital was the best decision you ever made. Who are you? We will be covering Netflix's hit show, Ratchet, today, which I have to admit Dr. Sam had to convince me to watch because, as you just heard, the trailer is pretty creepy sounding. (laughs) The trailer definitely is scary, makes it look really spooky. I think if you're familiar with Ryan Murphy's work, he tends to really like things that are of paranormal and creepy nature. Um, So for today... Ratchet. It serves as the prequel to Ken Kesey's 1962 novel One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and the 1975 film of the same name. Ratchet is actually the origin story of nurse Mildred Ratchet. In 1947, we're introduced to Mildred when she arrives in Northern California for a job at one of the leading psychiatric hospitals, Lucia State Hospital. We learn that Mildred is actually in Lucia because her foster brother, Edmund Tullison, will be held there before he's executed for the murder of four priests. While at Lucia, Mildred assists with treating or torturing debatable patients and works with a psychiatrist and the director of Lucia, Dr. Richard Hanover, as he starts experimenting with unsettling treatments for his patients. We are really excited to do this episode today because it's our first two-part episode series that we'll be doing uh, to round out our spooky session series. So we'll be doing Ratchet today and the quote sequel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, on November 12th, so be sure to check out the movie if you haven't already. I know Dr. Sam and I will be watching it soon, (laughs) Um, and then check back on November 12th to check out that episode as well. Yeah, and interestingly, Dr. Fran and I, neither of us have seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and it's one of those, um, I think, movies that comes up a lot when you talk about, like, psychology or psychiatry. Um, definitely has a uh, a lot of, like, myths and lore and legends around it, so we're looking forward to watching it and breaking it down on the couch, so don't forget to tune in for that one. So one thing that Ratchet and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest have in common is they take place in a psychiatric facility. Um, so in Ratchet, we see this at Lucia State Hospital, which is 
portrayed as this very vibrantly colored facility. It has these huge offices, high ceilings, chandeliers. You know, as I was, as I was watching it, I was like, I would like to go there. That looks yes. very nice. <laughs> I know Dr. Hanover, who is the psychiatrist there, his office is humongous and he has like a full bar and it's just like the most beautiful setting on the cliffs of Lucia, California. Um, but maybe not what, not very typical of what we'd expect to see in an actual state psychiatric hospital. No, definitely not especially because a big piece of what they're kind of going through throughout the series is getting funding and how they're losing funding and they don't have enough. And I'm like, if you don't have that much funding, how can you afford to be in this very grand and kind of upkeep that would require for this type of setting? Exactly. And the truth of the matter is that oftentimes state psychiatric hospitals can be underfunded and really don't have large access to resources um, or funding. So we would not see such a beautiful, huge hospital on the cliffs with all these vibrant colors. Um, And, you know, we have covered forensic hospitals thus far, but we really haven't gotten into psychiatric hospitals. Um, So we will just be discussing them more a little bit today, um, but more so when we cover One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest next session, we're going to dive into it more and the history of these psychiatric um, institutions as well. But first, let's dive into the prequel, Ratchet, a bit more. Yeah, and specifically, we wanted to start off by talking about Mildred and Edmund, especially because as the show is named, um, (laughs) Nurse Ratchet is a big primary character in her storyline and kind of the different things that she does, and often they involve Edmund. Um, And so we wanted to just a brief um, amount of time today talking about their histories and kind of their characters. I think a large part of the show, we are kind of trying to figure out like what are Mildred Ratched's intentions and like what is she really up to? And so we do learn that Mildred and Edmund spent time together in the foster care system um, and that they have a significant history of physical and sexual abuse um, from their time in the foster system, unfortunately. Well, I suppose you'd say I was an orphan. And I was placed into the foster system. I had a brother. Well, he wasn't really my brother. He was also an orphan. But a caseworker took a liking to us and forged our paperwork to say that we were biological siblings so we would be kept together. One of the families, the last one, they abused us. Most of the families abused us. And throughout the show, we see that their past contributes to distorted worldviews that kind of differ in both of them. So, you know, with Edmund, he seems to have these really strict, almost like rules to himself about who can be hurt and why and who can't be hurt. And we see with Mildred, she's often just really focused on um, protecting others and has her own idea of how to do that and how to show people compassion and mercy in her own way. Something that really struck me is that the way that these portrayals, particularly for Edmund and Ratchet, as we learned about their traumatic childhood histories, is that the idea is that we're supposed to be more sympathetic or empathetic towards their characters because they've been through these really horrific things, which we are, you know, it's a very nice um, kind of strategy that the writers use to try to get you to be a little bit more empathetic with those characters. But then it's also confusing because they're still committing these very violent, inappropriate acts. And so you're having to kind of reconcile that, um, those two pieces. 
Definitely. And we're seeing that Mildred, you know, like I touched upon, she's hurting other people, like trying to get to and then protect and like almost like save Edmund. We see Edmund is engaging in violent acts really kind of in retaliation for past wrongdoings. Um, So the people that he has harmed either harmed him or loved ones or people like in his life. And I think that, like you mentioned, it's definitely a writer's device to kind of garner that sympathy. But it's also making this assumption that people are more violent as a product of their background and that this is then more justified, right? Um, Which we do know and we have talked about a little bit in the past as well is just because people have histories of trauma or have mental illness does not make them necessarily more violent they're not going to become violent killers or have psychopathic traits just because they also have an abuse history and that was a little bit of a problem I took with the way especially Mildred's character is portrayed and Edmund's too is that it's this idea that children who have abuse histories are going to become violent killers and I don't think that does enough justice or service to, to you know thinking about and talking about children who have been victims of such horrible histories that they are automatically now on a path to be like a Mildred or an Edmund. Exactly. I think Ratchet tries to show these characters as very like nuanced and give them these backstories and this history, but then it does a disservice by then kind of simplifying their trajectories and how they become just largely violent. Um, I think based on these two characters, one of the overarching messages of the show appears to be related to this idea of nature versus nurture. So the show tries to explore like why people are the way that they are. Um, We can definitely discuss a little bit more about that and whether they do um, that justice. I don't think so. (laughs) Well, and I think because it is mostly saying that it is nurture that creates um, these types of behaviors. And even Mildred has something to say about how individuals become violent. He wasn't born a monster. Somebody turned him into one. And as we know, in most cases related to mental illness, there really is a combination of genes and environment. So it's not necessarily one or the other. It's not only nature or only nurture. We do know that oftentimes it's an interaction between the two. Yeah, and this was actually an area that got me into psychology. I was really interested in what we call the cycle of violence. So the idea that, like Dr. Sam mentioned, there has been a link, um, and Kathy spatz Widom is one of the pioneers in this area, um, that there is a link between childhood maltreatment, abuse or neglect, and later acts of delinquency or criminal behavior or even violence. However, the majority of individuals who are abused or neglected in childhood do not go on to become violent or delinquent. So there have to be a lot of these caveats and these you know, nuances that we think about that it's not an automatic thing, but it is kind of, um, it is something that can create more risk for later violent behavior. And I think these things can be kind of tricky. And Dr. Fran, you might be able to speak a little bit more to this um, as you're a little bit more familiar with this literature. But sometimes what we see, like as you mentioned, with children that have been abused or neglected, we do see an increase in risk. Um, And there's a myriad of factors that go into that because for these children, violence and abusive behavior has been modeled. So that's that... um, nature or actually that's that nurture part of it the environment of what is around them but then also if their parent it has more propensity towards violence is that also then maybe part of the genetic predisposition right so it can be very complicated and these factors are definitely intertwined 
Yeah, absolutely. And some of the work I was speaking about before has been extended. One of the big studies um, is the Dunedin study, which took place in New Zealand by Moffat and Caspi. So we'll definitely put resources if you're interested in learning more about these things on our website. Um, but their really seminal study in this area looked at maltreated children and then looked at the specific gene and whether these individuals had or didn't have that gene, put that at either, even higher or lower risk for being violent in adulthood. So kind of exactly what Dr. Sam was mentioning, um, that there might be this combination of that history of abuse combined with some kind of genetic factor leading to higher risk for violent behavior. But again, it's super complicated. It's not at the point where we can take someone's genetic profile and be like, oh, you were abused. Okay, you're going to be violent later. Exactly. It's so much more complicated. And there are so many different factors in the environment and biologically that we know can interact to kind of lead um, individuals down different paths. And this is a hot topic just generally, like within science and I think within media, this nature versus nurture idea. Um, and, you know, I think in terms of Ratched, what we see is they're kind of relating it to violence and just based on Mildred and Edmund's history and just their trajectories that we're seeing throughout the show. Um, and speaking of violence, Ratched also depicts many horrifying scenes um, of psychiatric treatments. So I'm not sure about you listeners, but when you're watching, I know a lot of people are asking, like, are these real treatments or are these just treatments that the creators of the show and these movies um, have created to scare us? Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of these <laughs> did really happen, um, which is very scary, actually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this was honestly, for me, one of the hardest parts of the show to watch. And I imagine for other people, the scenes where they do some of these treatments are really horrific. And I think you know, the producer, Ryan Murphy, is kind of known for those like kind of gruesome or disturbing scenes and yeah. <laughs> um, some of his other shows. So I'm not surprised, but it was really hard to watch, especially in the context of knowing that some of these things really did happen. So we wanted to spend a little bit of time kind of going through some of the treatments, quote unquote, treatments that we see in the show, kind of talking about their history and kind of the actual implications of them. And I think like with many things, it's important to know the history. So, you know, when Dr. Fran and I were talking about this show or when we talk about a lot of shows and movies and they portray psychiatric treatment in such a way that is just so horrifying, it's hard for me, like even as the viewer thinking, how did they think that these treatments would even be beneficial? Like how could this ever help anyone? And our motivation is to help others. And so it's just such a conflicting idea. And then to see it portrayed mm -hmm. on the screen in such a gruesome way just really makes it way worse. Um, and we see it right off the bat in Ratchet. So early in the show, Dr. Hanover, he's kind of speaking to like the gallery of people and he is explaining and demonstrating the lobotomy. Um, lobotomies are often, I'm sure you've heard this word a lot. We've talked about it before briefly in Shutter Island. It's often portrayed in psychological and psychiatric movies as this thing, you know, to scare people. It's always used to scare people. It's horrifying. Let's listen a bit to Dr. Hanover explain exactly what the lobotomy is. I present to you the lobotomy. In 1935, Portuguese neurologist Antonio Egas Moniz first attempted a procedure that I now wish to make commonplace. A procedure so straightforward it can be performed on all four subjects in a quarter of an hour. The brain's frontal lobe is the seat of its neuroses. Juvenile distraction, mania, memory loss, lesbianism, all of these maladies can be subdued, if not reversed, by surgically disrupting a series of neural connections in the brain's white matter. As you can see, the patients have received only the lightest sedation and will awaken, though slightly groggy, 
as brand new individuals, unencumbered by the mental illness that brought them to this place. Now, I encourage you to sit back, relax, and bear witness as I touch the mind. So we hear Dr. Hanover kind of give the history of the lobotomy, and it, he is actually accurate. So um, he references Antonio Igas Moniz, who is the neurologist who initially developed the lobotomy in 1935. Um, and he believed that mental illness and, as Dr. Hanover said, maladies originated from abnormal connections in the frontal lobe of the brain. And so you might be asking, like, what does the frontal lobe do? So why are we going to go in and kind of mess with it to fix these quote-unquote problems. Um, so the frontal lobe is responsible for cognitive functions and control of our voluntary movements. So it helps with things such as like emotional regulation, planning, reasoning, problem solving, um, a really, really important part of the brain. <laughs> right. And so to some extent, we can understand why it might make sense that, you know, working with the frontal lobe, that there might be some kind of some like issue going on there that maybe we can fix. But that's not really the science that they were using in the 1930s. Um, Essentially, as we do see in the film, which we didn't play that clip because it is very graphic. And that was probably the hardest scene for me. One of the hardest scenes for me to watch during the show is watching them perform the lobotomies. But they would drill a pair of holes into the skull, either at the sides or the top, and then push a sharp instrument into the brain and then, quote, sweep from side to side to cut the connections between the frontal lobe and the rest of the brain. Um, and the problem is that again, sweeping from side to side is not like a very precise or specific, like they didn't really know what they were doing or what they were messing with. They just knew that it had this impact for a lot of individuals of quote curing or basically sedating, um, people that they would kind of come out having lost, you know, major aspects of their personality, major kind of like. Um, you know, kind of abilities to have conversations and kind of act um, in typical function, but then we're just kind of at least like more docile than they had been prior to the treatments. Yes, and if you can imagine, someone's going in with an ice pick as they portray in a lot of movies or different medical, quote-unquote, medical devices. Um, They're just kind of messing up those connections to the brain. And if you're disconnecting other parts of the brain from that hub, of course, we're going to then see deficits in emotional regulation, planning, all of these things that you really need to function. Um, And they would call that a success if the individual became more docile because they weren't showing other symptoms at that point. Um, But the results from lobotomies were variable. And I can imagine it's because if you're just kind of going in and sweeping, like maybe sometimes you get other connections, maybe sometimes you don't, really variable results. Um, Unfortunately, it was hailed in the 1940s as basically a miracle cure in the UK. Um, So surgeons were performing disproportionately more lobotomies than even like anywhere else, even compared to the U.S., And one psychiatrist kind of looked at the results, and he found that about a third of people who received lobotomies benefited, the other third were basically ineffected, and then another third were actually worse off afterwards. I'm... I'm personally surprised. I thought it would be more that we're worse off or unaffected. But again, I think it's because this technique is not precise. It probably varies from individual conducting it and the individual depending on what their um, symptoms are. So not the best treatment. (laughs) Right. And, you know, at the time, you can imagine when they didn't have psychiatric medications that were effective, that this was kind of seen as a way, as an alternative for an individual who had a really severe mental illness that wasn't well-controlled 
the alternative for that person at that time was really heavy, um, like restrictions being put in a straitjacket, being locked in a room, and that the alternative to being, you know, kind of sedated after a lobotomy seemed to be, quote, like more humane or like a better treatment. Um, and so at the time, this was hugely popular and kind of hit its peak in the mid 40 or late 40s and the mid 50s, um, or sorry, early 50s, when um, the individual who developed the lobotomy actually won a Nobel Prize. Yeah. Um, so it definitely makes sense that when we're seeing Ratchet, the time frame that this is portrayed, and it was a very popular procedure. Um, and luckily, this did kind of in the mid 50s rapidly fall out of um, practice because they just the results weren't very effective, like Dr. Sam was mentioning. And this was around the time that psychiatric drugs started becoming more popular more widely used and just were so much more effective and so had way less side effects um, than the lobotomy did. Yes, and we um, the last recorded lobotomy in the U.S. took place in 1967. So as Dr. Fran alluded to, this is not a treatment that is being used. Um, I know we talked about this even regarding Shutter Island, which if you haven't listened to that session, definitely check it out. Um, we talked with a forensic expert who also assured us they are not doing lobotomies in the forensic settings. <laughs> um, so, you know, not used currently, not an effective treatment, um, and was really used for a variety of... Um, um, as Dr. Hanover says, maladies to treat at the time um, and just not something we do, not something we should be doing. <laughs> what would we, what kind of treatments yeah. would we use instead now, Dr. Rand? Well, typically for severe mental illness, we would be using more of a psychiatric drug, um, which we'll talk maybe a little bit about today, but hopefully in future sessions, we'll have a chance to dive more into psychiatric um, medications for severe mental illness and some of the conditions we see portrayed in Ratchet. Um, but there is some use of what they would call um, like psychosurgery or neurosurgery to try to, you know, we do know that pieces of mental illness are related to brain function and things that are going on. And so, you know, you can imagine that maybe there are ways to extend the ideas of the lobotomy into a way of doing brain surgery to try to correct neural paths. But the short version of that is there's just not one clear, easy answer um, to curing, quote, like depression or schizophrenia or mania. These conditions are a lot more complicated. And so even like modern day psychosurgery has a lot of adverse um, outcomes and just really isn't the first line treatment for most of these conditions. Definitely. And Dr. Fran and I were talking about, you know, we're obviously, we practice psychology um, and we mostly do CBT and various therapies with our, um, the individuals that we work with. However, you know, when these individuals are looking back, like when Dr. Hanover looks back and there are modern advances in medication and treatment, he's going to look back and see the way that he treated and tortured his poor, um, the poor people that he was tasked with helping and caring for. And I made a joke to Dr. Fran, like at least, you know, with the type of therapy and the practices we use, if things, you know, as they will continue to advance and we will keep up to date with the most current like literature and therapies, we're never going to look back and say, oh man, really wish I hadn't gone in and like given that patient a lobotomy or gone in and scrambled my patient's brain. So that is a, a positive. <laughs> and we do even see a little bit of that regret with Nurse Bucket towards the end of the film talking about a different treatment. So let's take a listen to her reflecting on that. Did you know they discovered that a tuberculosis medication called isoniazid can treat melancholy hmm. or depression, they're starting to call it. When I think of some of the things I was doing, like the hydrotherapy, I shudder. 
And what Nurse Bucket is referring to here is hydrotherapy. So she, um, per Dr. Hanover's request and education, is asked to perform hydrotherapy on a patient that they are trying to treat for, quote unquote, this is what they use in the movie, and we heard Dr. Hanover say it as well, but lesbianism. Um, so this is another scene that was very difficult to watch because it could only be described as torture. What they're putting this poor woman through um, in order to cure her, it, it was just horrific. But let's actually listen a little bit as Nurse Bucket explains the procedure. Nurse Ratchet and Huck are going to help you into this nice warm bath. What are we doing? We're following instructions is what we're doing. Instructions for a treatment mandated by Dr. Hanover. And that will be the last question I answer from you, Nurse Ratchet. That looks very hot. It's a balmy 99 degrees, no hotter than baths every one of us has taken. It's actually quite nice. Now secure the lids. And relax, Mrs. Cartwright. We'll now engage the pumps to bring the temperature up to 119 degrees. The lesbianism that has so plagued your life is a nervous impulse that you evidently can't control. I'll never do it again. See, it's already working. This is what is called hydrotherapy, Mrs. Cartwright. It will soothe your nervous impulses. No, no. It's exactly the right temperature. Oh, sorry. 117, it actually is too hot. Just 20 more minutes. 20 minutes? We will not stand here while you boil this wine. Fine, and you can wait outside. But this treatment will be administered in the manner Dr. Hanover has prescribed. So that scene is hard to watch and listen to for a few reasons. One, I like Dr. Sam alluded to, it's basically they're torturing this poor woman. And second, because what they are trying to do is cure her, her lesbianism or her homosexuality. And what we know is that, first of all, attempts to change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity are not effective. Um, second of all, they are not mental illnesses um, in the same way that mania or schizophrenia, and even though that is how they were perceived at the time, um, we have come a lot long way in terms of understanding and recognizing that, you know, someone's sexual orientation or gender identity is not something that needs to be or should be attempted to change um, in the way, in any way, especially in the way that we see it portrayed in the film, even though unfortunately there are still treatments out there that the intent is to try to change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. Yeah, it's such a, it's, it's a very difficult clip to watch for those reasons that you mentioned, Dr. Fran. And I think like we know um, some of these treatments like conversion therapy and things like that do still exist. Um, but does hydrotherapy still exist? And exactly what were they trying to do other than trying to cure her lesbianism, like why were they using this as a treatment? So they, we hear Dr. Bucket mention that it will calm her nervous impulses. <laughs> um, and so actually, like we, we do know that there's a long history about water and it's kind of curing 
qualities like from you know just like back in the times of like magic and and science when they were all blended together there's a long history of magic being used or <laughs> magic water being used for a very variety of reasons and so in the 17th century there these various methods of hydrotherapy also arose to help with kind of curing or fixing mental illness and I think I read that one of the pioneers of hydrotherapy in this way, the reason he developed this treatment was because a patient escaped, ran into a cold lake, and then came out after having almost died, quote unquote, cured. And so then the doctor was like, well, this must be the treatment. And so they kind of continued on with that. Oh um, and so like Dr. Sam mentioned, like in the 17th century was really when this started to pick up. And there were a lot of different versions of this, um, different variations. So it might be plunging the entire body into water. Um, then they kind of decided, well, maybe it's really the brain. So then they would direct cold or hot showers onto, quote, hot brains. And the idea was that you were you know, kind of shocking the patient into sanity mm -hmm. is the way they kind of understood it at that time. Again, not really based on any science, no. but just kind of seeing these things occur and saying, oh, this must have cured the patient or, you know, um, and then kind of coming up with justifications after the fact for why this must have been working. And it really seems like they would use these variety of treatments like just to change anything they wanted. So there was an individual named Patrick Blair who used hydrotherapy to treat women who wouldn't sleep with their husbands. So basically to force women into having sex with their husbands like, oh, we don't like that behavior. Let's change it. We're going to shock the brain. We're going to kill the madness in her brain by freezing it or heating it up and then they will comply with what we want. And this is kind of what we saw with this type of treatment and like what we saw in the clip with Norse Bucket. If it's something that's just others perceive as unacceptable behavior, we're going to use hydrotherapy to try to fix it. Um, and it really varied. So the temperature, we hear Nurse Bucket talking about like 117 degrees for the hot part. And it's really hard for us to say like whether or not that is accurate because through historical reports, sometimes they would have the temperature of the water like in the low 100s, like 100, 105. Um, it seems like the average was more like in the high 90s. But it is definitely impossible to say whether or not other people attempted much higher temperatures, which is really um, scary to think about. Right. And like Dr. Sam mentioned before, there were kind of actually around this time too, like some individuals seeking hydrotherapy type interventions on their own, you know, this idea of having like healing waters yes. or, you know, some kind of like spiritual connection or healing connection. Um, so sometimes, obviously, it was done in these psychiatric hospitals without consent and, you know, in a more torturous way. But then on the flip side, there were also individuals kind of seeking these treatments out and paying a lot of money um, to, you know, have these things, you know, the idea of it was relieving congestion in the brain or eliminating toxins that cause insanity. That's where kind of, again, these, these messages people were receiving about the health benefits of this type of treatment. Luckily, again, <laughs> this treatment did fall largely out of favor. It was replaced um, by electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, shock therapy, which we won't get into today, um, but we can talk about in future sessions. And then again, pharmacology as more psychiatric drugs became more popular and again were one more effective and two had less negative side effects than submerging someone in hot water for days at a time. Definitely. And a little bit more research than just having a sample size of one individual jump into a lake. Yeah. Um, both ECT and psychopharmacology or psychiatric medications um, impact the brain, much like they were hoping shocking it with cold or hot water would do. These factors actually do work on the brain in various ways that we can see more positive outcomes. Um, and we will cover 
ECT in the future, definitely. Something I'm very eager to talk about. I've actually seen ECT being conducted. So I think that will be interesting oh, to chat about. I didn't know that. Yeah, I have. Um, and psychopharmacology, which we talk about in a lot of our sessions, including Shutter Island or other ones, you know, um, different medications. We're, of course, not psychiatrists, but different medications that can be used to treat various uh, mental health illnesses and symptoms. So there are a few kind of more modern day versions of hydrotherapy. Definitely not what we see portrayed <laughs> in Ratchet, thank goodness. Um, but some kind of ways we still take this idea of water um, and kind of different temperatures with water that can Im- impact the body's functions. So one of the ways is um, a distress tolerance or a, an emotion management strategy. Um, and the idea is that we can use cold water, um, compresses on the face or even kind of com- like um, or even even submerging our face in cold water to try to induce the mammalian diving reflex. If you're interested in this, you can look up more about it on our website. But the idea is that this is a natural reflex that occurs for all mammals and is triggered when we're submerged in cold water. So the idea is that it can change some of our body chemistry by reducing heart rate eventually um, and kind of initiating the parasympathetic nervous system. So this is not something that, you know, a doctor would prescribe or that you would kind of go in and have a procedure done. But the idea is that if someone is really emotionally distressed, you would kind of splash cold water on your face and it would try to help calm you down. So a much lighter version, much, much, much lighter version of what we kind of heard about happening in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. Yes, Dr. Fran and I are not recommending hydrotherapy, um, nor do we have any like colleagues or friends who would do so either. Um, I, Dr. Fran did bring up an important point when we were chatting about this earlier, that there are other versions of hydrotherapy. So in particular, it seems like related to physical therapies um, for various conditions like arthritis or other rheumatic complaints, um, where they use cold or hot water to soothe muscles and joints and we even see that with athletes you know after or after you work out or you get in the bathtub to relax your muscles so it's definitely used in that sense and it's not to the extremes that we saw um, related to more of these psychiatric type treatments and that we see with nurse bucket So another interesting intervention we see portrayed in the film uh, specifically involves Dr. Hanover again. He's always the one coming up with these new, innovative, cutting-edge treatments that are going to cure individuals. Um, So this one involves... Um, Henry, so kind of like a side character who's not part of the psychiatric hospital, but, you know, pretty interesting side story there. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's hear Dr. Hanover explain the treatment he wants to give Henry. Have you heard of lysergic acid? Lucinogen. Physicians in Switzerland have just had some very promising therapeutic results with LSD. It seemed to free the mind of its workaday constraints. Told the heiress all I would need was a full day with Henry alone. So she took a trip to the other side of the island. And I introduced the lysergic acid to Henry. Standard dose, 20 micrograms. But the boy said, You take some too. There was no way I was going to agree with that, so I pretended. There. 20 micrograms for both of us. I knew right away something was wrong. (laughs) He poured the whole thing into my drink. Four thousand micrograms. 
about 200 times the therapeutic dose. So in this clip, we hear that Dr. Hanover is going to attempt to give Henry a quote-unquote therapeutic dose of LSD to help curve his violent tendencies. So we, like Dr. Fran mentioned, Henry is the side character that we see likes to poke individuals and kind of just seems to enjoy seeing other people get hurt, um, seems to be also prone to violence. And his mother seeks out Dr. Hanover, kind of seemingly very desperate to help her son. Um, And he comes in and he tells her that he knows exactly what to do and attempts this trial with the LSD. But it goes horribly wrong. Um, Like probably as wrong... Probably as wrong as a clinical trial for a medication could possibly go. (laughs) Yes, and this is by no means a clinical trial, but very true. And Dr. Fran mentioned earlier how she disliked watching lobotomy scenes. This scene to me was very difficult to watch. So, you know, as we know, Henry ends up kind of tricking Dr. Hanover. He pours all of the LSD into Dr. Hanover's glass, and they both go on these, like, huge trips on LSD. Um, and the scene is very psychedelic. They're like dancing, they're acting very hyperactive, and it's just kind of a sporadic scene. Um, and eventually, Henry shows up having two arms that he seems to have murdered and amputated from another individual and asks Dr. Hanover to sew those arms onto his arms because he thinks that his arms are the ones doing the violent deeds, and if he can substitute his arms, all will be better. We are going to put these on me i knew right away they were the gardeners and that henry had just murdered him well that is not how it works so dr hanover and his state ends up sewing the arms back on but then we find out later that henry goes septic and loses both the arms and his legs so did the lsd cure his violent tendencies no No, they did not (laughs) Somewhat of a fun fact I was reading, though, as I was kind of preparing for this episode, was that the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest had participated in some government trials on LSD Mm. to supplement his income. So they were later able to find out that the trials he participated in were CIA-financed, kind of like secret military programs, um, and they were studying the effects of different psychiatric drugs, including LSD, cocaine, and a few others on individuals, which, like, thinking through that now sounds really horrific. But again, this was a different time. Um, But basically that some of his inspiration for parts of what parts of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but some other books that he has written um, were a little bit inspired by his role as this kind of like medical guinea pig um, and working at a VA apparently. Oh, wow. Very interesting. And if we look back at the history of LSD, like Dr. Fran just mentioned, there is a history of LSD being used in various trials, like either for psychiatric treatment or other um, government-type um, experiments. And LSD was discovered in 1938 by the Swiss chemist Albert Hoffman. And I think a lot of people kind of know this story. Um, I know, I think you learn about it in psychology, right, where he kind of takes the dose and is like riding his bike, ends up at his house. But he accidentally gets into contact with a small dose of LSD and he is thought to be the first subject in history like to personally experience the effects. Um, so what, you know, we know LSD is a hallucinogenic. So what are the effects, the mental effects of using LSD? So some of the effects would be having a distorted sense of time and identity. So we definitely see that with um, Dr. Hanover and Henry's trip, this really distorted sense of time. And he just started talking it wouldn't stop it seemed to go on for months 
There's also an alteration in depth and time perception. There can be visual hallucinations, a sense of euphoria or certainty. There was Henry the whole time just laughing and thanking me. Disordered perception of like the size and shapes of objects, movement, color, sounds, touch, body image, delusion. So we actually see a lot of those portrayed, um, you know, even in an exaggerated sense, but in that clip from the from the movie or from the TV show. Very true. And, you know, Dr. Hanover this time, like in the 1950s at Lucia is right around the time when they were experimenting with the use of psychedelic drugs for a psychiatric treatment. Um, however, you know, poor outcomes, you know, not releasing the results they were hoping for, as well as the passage of the Substance Act of 1970, um, which placed psychedelic drugs like LSD into the Schedule One category, have limited the potential progress and like future experimentation looking at the efficiency or effectiveness of the effectiveness of using these types of um, drugs as medication. <laughs> And it was actually prohibited in the U.S. in in 1967, partially because it had become just so popular outside of the, you know, psychiatric treatment context, but even just with individuals, you know, using it privately or kind of individually and particularly associated with counterculture movements um, in the 60s at that time. Um, In terms of safety, um, you know, classic hallucinogens such as LSD do have some risks. So one of them is like the bad trip or (laughs) which we do see, I would guess we that Dr. Hanover (laughs) and Henry would consider their state um, a bad trip, Um, you know, can lead to unpredictable behavior um, if it's in a more uncontrolled or unsupervised environment. Um, And then also another risk can be the exacerbation of already present psychiatric conditions, particularly psychotic disorders, or having long-term psychotic reactions um, based on an individual's predisposition. So having psychotic symptoms like hallucinations, paranoia, delusions that then extend even after the trip has ended um, is another potential adverse side effect. And interestingly, they would try a lot of these trials um, with individuals who had schizophrenia or hallucinations, other psychotic symptoms. And so we see that that can actually be um, potentially contraindicated or could, you know, lead to an an exacerbation of these symptoms or of these hallucinations and, you know, just be unsafe for some individuals. There can also be adverse physiological effects. So, you know, um, using substances to alter the brain like LSD can also lead to an increase in blood pressure, heart rate. Um, There can also be other complications related to people that are pregnant, may have epilepsy or other physical um, conditions. So, like we mentioned, there has not been a lot of work looking at psychedelics as treatments related to, you know, the Substance Act of 1970 and just the adverse outcomes found initially. I do know that there is still some interest, however, in how to go about looking at substances like this as potential treatment. Yeah, and I actually found a review that had looked at clinical trials, so kind of excluding all the things that happened in the 60s and 70s that were really not done with like the best scientific practices, but kind of looking more recently at clinical trials that had been approved and had been done in our more kind of standard ways. Um, And they did so show some therapeutic potential for LSD, particularly with individuals with alcoholism. So I think there is a space for there to be more research conducted in this area to really make sure that, you know, things are being done in the safest and most appropriate way to see whether some of these drugs do have a potential to be helpful for some psychiatric conditions in the future, but we're just really not there yet. 
And the newer way to um, treat individuals with these types of symptoms as opposed to using psychedelics is using, again, more of the psychiatric medications that have been developed and tested. Um, so, and who knows what the future holds, kind of like what Dr. Brian and I alluded to, that some individuals do have an interest and may look at future uh, trials related to these substances. So we will see, but we do not recommend um, doing LSD with your patients in a room and then leading to um, very macabre outcomes. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> So the last treatment we wanted to discuss today is hypnosis, and specifically hypnosis used in Dr. Hanover's um, way for treating dissociative identity disorder, or what was formerly called multiple personality disorder. Yes, and if you have not checked out our episode on Fight Club, definitely do so. We really dive more into what DID is um, along with factors related to that. So give that episode a listen for more information. We do see in Ratchet, Charlotte, um, a new character that is presented in Ratchet, is an individual that is portrayed as having DID. And so Dr. Hanover has this great idea that he, you know, he really takes to Charlotte. He wants to be the one to cure her and help her. It's kind of almost in a narcissistic kind of way. He wants to, like, get some kind of glory um, and also hopefully help someone because he doesn't really seem to be doing much of that. (laughs) Um, But he really gets in his head that he's going to try to use hypnosis to help Charlotte with her DID. Yeah, and I think we even have a clip where he explains a little bit about what that process should look like. An individual suffering from multiple personalities are generally very easily hypnotized. Do I have your permission? Thank you, Apollo. And thank you, Undine and baby Taffy. But right now, Charlotte, I want you to keep staring at the disc and think only of sleep. Sleep. Going sound. Sound asleep. Are you asleep? You're shit. You're nothing. Ah, please, Shostakovich's concerto number one. You're passing into a deep, profound sleep. The Belgium. Going deeply asleep. And Charlotte. As you fall asleep, please thank Apollo and Undine and baby Taffy for protecting you and always keeping you safe. Are you there, Charlotte? Yes. Please open your eyes. So here we see a portrayal of number one, dissociative identity disorder, and number two, hypnosis that I feel like we see a lot. It's this idea that someone can be hypnotized and can be almost immediately cured by kind of, you know, um, manipulating or being able to kind of identify alters and turn them on or off almost and then kind of get to the root of the individual's personality and kind of hear their trauma history and have them kind of reconnect all their altars together and be magically cured throughout this process. But that's not really how it works. When I snap my finger, you'll awaken. You and you alone. You will realize that your trauma is in the past. And while you will never forget it, this event no longer controls you. 
miracle cure. It's not really how it works. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> Um, actually, uh, interestingly, the first report of, uh, quote, successful treatment for DID described using hypnotherapy in 1837. So it's been going on for quite some time. Um, and unfortunately, what we do know is that individuals with multiple personality disorder, formally called, or DID, um, are more susceptible to hypnosis. And while that may seem like it's a an indicator of you know, successful prognosis or being able to respond well to treatment, there are a lot of concerns that, you know, how much of the hypnosis is actually, you know, um, identifying alters that are already there and how much may it actually be producing either false memories of traumatic events or um, false alters that weren't actually there before. There are some major concerns by some individuals that really hypnosis or kind of certain treatments for DID can actually create more um, alters or create more of an idea of DID that maybe wasn't there before. Yeah, so also seemingly not the best recommendation for someone with DID if you're perhaps giving them a treatment that may make it worse or create um, additional alters, right? Um And I think we see this time and time again. We actually even see this in Goodwill Hunting. We touched upon it briefly. Is the use of hypnosis in a way that is just totally inaccurate. So oftentimes hypnosis is used to kind of find repressed memories or get out information that the person is unaware of. Um, And we see that same use here with Charlotte. Dr. Hanover uses it. And it does seemingly work for Charlotte. She kind of reveals actually a very horrific story about when she was kidnapped, um, held captive, and physically abused and assaulted by individuals before being saved. I was attacked by four young white men. They beat me and threw me into the trunk of a car. Um, And it seems like as a result of that trauma, she now experiences these alters um, kind of as a protective factor almost related to what she went through. You experience a severe trauma and several personalities emerge from your psyche as a way to protect you from the pain of that trauma. And when Dr. Hanover hypnotizes her, and he even uses like that stereotypical like black and white wheel, (laughs) which again is not the way it is done, she ends up revealing all of this trauma that she had seemingly repressed. Yeah, and the problem is that individuals and our minds are very susceptible to suggestion. (laughs) Um, And so it is really difficult when working with a patient or an individual like this or, you know, that reveals this extensive trauma history under a hypnosis condition to really know how much of it is you know, was really something that happened versus how much was suggested. Obviously, if you're looking for a repressed trauma history that you suspect to be there, you might ask some leading questions. Um, You know, it might create this environment where someone's more likely to reveal a trauma history and the, you know, um, evidence for that or the truth behind that is not 100% known. Yeah, I feel like the way hypnosis is portrayed in Ratchet is problematic and not very accurate. Um, I think a lot of people will be surprised to know because we see hypnosis all the time in TV and movies. We see it kind of portrayed in this comical way, used for manipulation, used to unearth deep, dark secrets. Um, that oftentimes I think people just think of hypnosis as this like super phony, fake kind of thing for movies and TV shows. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that we do actually use hypnosis. It's just not what we see on the screens and it's done in a very different way. Um, So we use hypnosis usually for the treatment of things 
um, such as like to help induce people in a more relaxed state. We use it in the treatment of pain, depression, gastrointestinal disorders, and other health problems. And really, hypnosis is a state of more focused attention or concentration, kind of bringing their attention to a certain script or a certain thing that you're working on. It's associated with a very high level of relaxation and heightened suggestibility. So, for example, there is a hypnotic technique used with children to reduce pain where you ask them to put on an imaginary magic glove to reduce sensation. You walk the child through the exercise, asking them to relax and put on this magic glove, which they then use as a protective factor against pain. And so using hypnosis in that way helps to reduce the child's pain. So that is more like what we would see with hypnosis in terms of treatment, um, as opposed to the spinny wheel tricking people into telling us deep, dark secrets. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate you bringing up kind of like more of the modern, accurate you know, uses of a hypnosis um, type intervention. And, you know, there, again, there is a lot of controversy of DID, which again, if you haven't listened to our Fight Club episode, definitely take a peek at that. Um, But there are some researchers and some clinicians who do actually use hypnosis in the treatment of traumatic stress disorders or DID, but typically it's an adjunct or an add-on to what we already know is an effective treatment for those conditions, such as cognitive behavioral therapy, and then kind of adding hypnosis maybe onto that. But the purpose is is not for, you know, alter alter recovery or memory recovery. It is much more of working on emotion regulation um, and managing the symptoms that accompany DID, not actually to kind of reunite the alters or get to these repressed memories as we see depicted so often. Yeah. So interestingly, hypnosis is one of the treatments portrayed in Ratchet. You know, all of them, like we mentioned, are unfortunately, in the way that they're portrayed in Ratchet, unfortunately were real treatments. Um, However, hypnosis, I think, is one of the only ones we've discussed thus far that is still commonly used, however, is just very inaccurately portrayed in the show. Right. Although, to be fair, the way that these treatments are portrayed in the show was probably accurate for the time. That's true. Luckily, they are not accurate for modern day. But I would say in terms of the time that this That's true. this TV show was taking place, some of these things may have happened. Especially as we talked about like the hydrotherapy, the lobotomies, those are those do seem to be in line with the way they were occurring. And even hypnosis, you're right. I was thinking more in lines of like, you know, hypnosis is still um, a treatment that is used, but not in the way that is shown in Ratchet. But yes. at the time, it was most likely being used more along the lines that we see Dr. Hanover as opposed to the ways that that is currently utilized in treatment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Very true. Well, and ter- speaking of exaggeration, um, so along with the treatments that Dr. Sam and I just mentioned, we also see some pretty <laughs> exaggerated portrayals of other psychiatric conditions like schizophrenia, DID, like we just mentioned, depression, mania. Um, so we just really see a like highly exaggerated portrayal of mental illness in these, in this show. Yes, and Ratchet also portrays the patients and the individuals that we see with mental illnesses as violent. So as we see throughout the whole show, a lot of the individuals that they are tasked with caring for at Lucia, as well as the staff, the nurses, even the doctor, are just killing others. There's a lot of violence, a lot of gore. Um, And as we've discussed today, as well as in previous sessions, this is just not an accurate depiction. We know that people that have mental illness are not necessarily going to be violent. Um, And actually, I think as we talked about in our Silence of the Lambs episode, um, oftentimes those with severe mental illness are more likely to be the victims of violence as opposed to the perpetrators. So, you know, overall, this show, as Dr. Fran also mentioned, it just really does exaggerate the portrayal of these symptoms, of these disorders, of these treatments, um, and of violence in this population, which really 
does damage in terms of the stigmatization of the mental illnesses that they portray. Although, what do you expect when your hospital is being run by Dr. Hanover, who has substance use issues and has a lot of these other things going on? Um, We question his competency to work with these individuals. And we've got Nurse Ratchet, who becomes head nurse, and she's not even a nurse. Yeah, we learned that she's not even a nurse. Like, just during the war, she was kind of like, I want to help people, so I just pretended to be a nurse, and now I'm still pretending to be a nurse. And Dr. Hanover, in all fairness, should be imprisoned, you know, and not be treating and working with individuals, especially, like, you know, those that are perhaps vulnerable due to their symptoms. Right. So maybe Um, (laughs) it's not surprising that under these conditions, we see, like, mistreatment and torture of individuals at the psychiatric hospital. There's assisted suicide, kidnapping, murders. Um, But, you know, the unfortunate, you know, product of all of this is that there is exacerbated stigma associated with mental health and its treatment in this TV show um, and about the individuals who run psychiatric hospitals um, and are charged with taking care of some of our most vulnerable people. Exactly. That was one of the main issues I had while watching the show is that, you know, oftentimes one of the main reasons we're doing this podcast is that psychological and psychiatric care is portrayed as this like taboo bad thing. Mental illness is scary. It means you're it means you're bad. It means you're different. It means you're like the other, right? And then treatment. Treatment is scary. Don't go get treatment because the doctors and nurses are killing people. They're going to help you kill yourself. It's just like the way they portray it makes it seem so scary. And unfortunately, I can only speak for myself, but I have worked with individuals who when they come to see me, even for the first time, they'll express fear because they're afraid that they're going to be sent to a quote-unquote mental institution or they're going to be locked up. And so this stigma really does exist and people are really afraid of that. And the way that Ratchet portrays it, I think just contributes to individuals perhaps not wanting to seek treatment or being afraid to do so, which is obviously not what we want. We always want individuals um, that could benefit from treatment to seek out the help of professionals who care and are there to, to help them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, unfortunately, that fear stems a little bit from the way that psychiatric care was like was done at that time. And we do, unfortunately, have a True. history of really awful treatments like we mentioned today um, and individuals who didn't necessarily have the patient's best care in mind when and didn't have the way they conceptualized treatment and rehabilitation in the same way that we do now. And like Dr. Sam mentioned, a goal of this podcast, but I think just a goal in general for psychology and psychiatry these days is to try to find the most effective and helpful treatments with the least number of negative side effects or kind of discomfort and that the goal is really to help people not hurt them or lock them in um, a psychiatric hospital for the rest of their lives. Exactly. And hopefully we're also... Um, able to highlight, you know, the more modern day current treatments, like Dr. Fran mentioned, that are more helpful, that we know are based in evidence, and that the goal is really to help people to see those benefits and more positive outcomes. Um, So yes, we discussed these really horrendous previous treatments, and also started to highlight some of the more modern treatments as we do in all of our um, sessions. So, you know, Ratchet, a lot going on with Mildred, a lot going on with Edmund. We talked about the various treatments. We talked about their, you know, not so um, appropriate portrayal of psych- of mental illness and its treatment. And as you can imagine, there's going to be a lot to cover in our PH Don'ts. This is not a safe place. Sorry. Are you, are you going to, like, keep touching me like that? Or? That guy is a total loon. But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. That's it. Great, great job, everybody. Thank you. Don't give a patient a weapon and encourage them to harm themselves. 
Don't use lobotomies or hydrotherapy to cure people's mental illness. Don't make out or have sex with your patients and then help them escape from the hospital, no matter how cute they are. Don't do drugs with your patient and then attempt to surgically give them new arms. Don't kidnap your patient, recreate their trauma by locking them in a closet, and then be murdered by them. That's not good. And then don't cover up said murder and help your patient escape by sending them to Mexico with bus fare. Don't behead your boss. And this should go without saying, don't murder your patients. All right, Dr. Fran, what did you think of Ratchet? (laughs) I feel like I'm primed now because of our pH don'ts, but in general, (laughs) overall, I thought the show was entertaining. Um, I thought it was visually very beautiful. The costuming was incredible. Every time Nurse Ratchet was on the screen in her outfits, I was like, that's a beautiful dress. I wish people still dress like that. Yeah. I wanted to know what happened. It was a little gory for me, not surprisingly, a little bit unnecessarily so. But I thought overall it was an interesting show. What about you? So I will agree. I think that the set design and the costume design were just beautiful. I love the colors. I'm also just very interested in like the retro look. So the dresses and all that, the cars, like I thought it was very visually appealing, very aesthetically pleasing, like a beautiful show. Um, And then interestingly, like such a beautiful show to like the stark contrast of like the gruesome content, which was interesting. Um, I really like Sarah Paulson and I usually really like Ryan Murphy as well, because as you know, I tend to be um, a big fan of kind of the horror genre. (laughs) Um, I will say that I thought it was like entertaining to watch like overall, but it was not one of my favorite shows. Um, I even kind of started it and then took like a little bit of a gap, like it didn't draw me in that much. And just like some of the things that we talked about, I do think it can be problematic in terms of the stigmatization of mental illness and treatment so I feel like in that regard it's problematic and I know that when One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest um, premiered and since it's been out like there are some like qualms with that as well that we'll talk about next session. And now it's time for our DSM-5 Diagnosing Shows and Movies. So Dr. Sam what would you rate Ratchet? So as you all know I tend to be the more harsh rater um, but I think also Just after some of our more recent conversations, I do give this one a one. So I think, you know, the... I know for the time, like we talked about some of the accuracies of the treatment, but I do think they were exaggerated for, you know, the whole gore and horror aspect. And I just felt that the portrayal of the mental illnesses themselves were so egregious and just hyperbolic and also portraying people with mental illnesses violent, which I am not in favor of. And then the providers. So the mental health providers, the psychiatrists, the nurses, they were just horrible as well. So I'm going to have to go with like a one. (laughs) I was thinking what about you, Dr. Rand? I was thinking a two originally, and now I feel like you're swaying me <laughs> to rate it lower, but I will stick with my original thoughts of a two as the um, more forgiving rater on the show. <laughs> but I definitely agree. Um, I think my main reason for giving it the one point is that the more I kind of looked into the history of some of these treatments, the more I was kind of realizing like for the time that this show takes place, This unfortunately was a fairly accurate portrayal of the types of treatments um, that could have happened and the types of conditions that they could have happened for. Um, So I think just a little bit of credit there for that piece of it. Again, everything is super hyperbolic in terms of the portrayal of like the actual institution itself, the staff, 
the patients and the mental illnesses that they had. You know, I have a huge problem, like Dr. Sam also mentioned, with the way that there's this connection made between an abuse history and, you know, in engaging in violent behavior and that kind of justifying that behavior. So a lot of lot of problems with the portrayals in this TV show um, with tiny pieces of maybe a little bit of accuracy. You're right about that. They definitely did their research, at least on the previous treatments. And then, of course, for the genre of horror and for their audience, like, took that and twisted it. So right. I could I could see your rating. Um, I'll stick with my one, though. But, <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's definitely – I'm really glad that we covered the show because of all the topics that we have discussed. And it allows us to kind of look at that history and talk about where we are now and, you know, continuing to progress our field. So – those aspects are always nice to, you know, it led to a nice discussion in that way. Yeah, of course. Well, session is over for Ratchet. Don't forget to check out our website. We talked a lot about a lot of different treatments and kind of history of different pieces. So we'll have a lot of different resources on our website for you to learn more about. Please let us know your thoughts on Ratchet. We'd love to hear kind of what you thought while watching the show. We'd also love to hear any questions you have about what we covered today or about psychology in general. And if you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows that you'd like us to put on our couch next. And you can always message us on social media. So please find and follow us there our website freudianscripts.com you can message us that way or find our email address and as always please subscribe rate and review and be sure to check out our next session on one flew over the cuckoo's nest time's up see you next session we'd like to thank our producer brandy creative director eric and webmaster don Isn't that incredible?